Welcome to the Sports Epreneur Podcast, the podcast where sports and entrepreneurship collide, a CatSource family production. In this episode, we discuss loving the game and building a foundation of success. This podcast exists in large part because of CatCM, the content marketing business inside CatSource Inc. So what does CatCM do? You know how many business leaders need help communicating their story? Well, that's what we do content creation and distribution for business leaders. This provides opportunities, relationships, and a platform for you and your business. Why do we do this? Because at CADCM, we exist to help business leaders build a meaningful legacy that is worth living and leaving. Learn more by visiting cadcm.com. Our guest today is Coach Alan Major. Alan is a college basketball coach, speaker, and author. Alan has coached at UNC Charlotte, The Ohio State University, Xavier University, University of the Pacific, and California Lutheran University. Coach Major currently lives in Indianapolis and is seeking a new coaching gig. Alan Major, a veteran leader both on and off the court, has played a key role in successful programs for over two decades. His philosophy is based on empowerment, professionalism, and motivation, and he has helped shape scores of young men and colleagues alike toward personal and collective victories. Whether as a coach, a speaker, or a leader, one thing remains unchanged, his relentless drive and clarity of vision. With Alan's experience on the court, he loves sharing his story, journey, and life lessons from the game of basketball. We are super excited to have Alan join us on this podcast, so let's get it going. I want to take a quick step back. College basketball, coaching, yeah. when did you know you wanted to become a basketball coach? Uh, you know, I would say I was 13 years old, and there was a, a funny incident that happened in uh, my backyard when I was a kid. You know, I was always the... I had a court in the backyard and, and a basketball hoop attached to the garage, you know, the whole routine. And, and I was always the younger guy playing with older guys, you know, they'd be dunking on the rim and they'd be bent, you know, whenever I'd come back home, I'd tell guys would be out there playing. And so the older guys kind of taught me how to play, um, you know, make a, make good passes, take a good shot. Don't do things, you know, outside your character on the court. And so as I got older, I taught, you know, younger kids that would come by, you know, a year or two younger than me, uh, how to play. So one time we're playing three on three and it's me and a, you know, a few other kids. And we basically have a little quick huddle and it's game point. And basically I, I tell this one little kid, his name is Dewan Washington. And I say, Hey, Dewan, you know, I'm going to pass the ball to, over here. I'm going to come set a pick for you. You know, you come off of me. If you're open, shoot it. So boom, boom, boom. He makes a shot. And it wasn't like, you know, angels sang from the heavens or anything like that, but it just, it just kind of hit me like, Hey, this is, that was really cool. What just happened. And it was, um, one of those things that maybe it just planted a seed in me that whenever I finished playing, you know, every guy thinks he's going to play forever until he's not. <laughs> and then, uh, so I just knew that I always wanted basketball to be a part of my life at that point. I didn't know how it would play out. I, I was hoping it would be coaching, but um, I think that was like a kind of a kind of a pivotal experience that at the time was probably seeming insignificant, but um, ended up being pretty special. Yeah, I would imagine so. It becomes like your aha moment to have that type of thing. And we've all been out there, right? I think I've pointed directions when I played, you know, uh, driveway basketball and told people to go in certain directions. I don't think it went as well as the probably what you just went through when you were 13 <laughs> years old. But <laughs> I love that. We love those stories. We love the stories of people when they yeah. when they were coming up and they realized at that time, like, man, this is something I want to be a part of my life, like you said. When we spoke yeah. um, a few months ago, you told me this incredible story. 
Um, you turned out to be an assistant basketball coach at the Ohio State University. And mm-hmm. before that, you had been on campus in St. John's Arena, and you had, I think at your time, your girlfriend there. Um, I want you to carry yeah. that story from here because I think this is one of just one of those stories that I think a lot of people need to hear. Yeah, so um, I was an assistant coach. My first uh, job was at uh, California Lutheran University. And um, I'm not personally Lutheran, but, you know, um, I <laughs> I went there and I knew the head coach. And so um, probably this would have been the summer of, uh, I would say right around 1994 in that range. And I was dating a girl that was in graduate school like I was at Cal Lutheran, uh, but she was from Newark, Ohio, and Newark was right outside of Columbus, not far away. So I went back to visit her, and we met, you know, on campus one day at Ohio State. We decided we're going to hang out and, you know, hang out on campus. And this is obviously um, dating myself here, but rollerblades uh, were a big deal at the time. So we, we, she has the bright idea that we're going to go uh, rollerblading all over campus. And she rollerbladed. I spent most of the day picking up rocks out of my knees and, and uh, picking myself up off the ground. But it was, it was fun. So anyway, we end up uh, walking into St. John Arena, which is a historic, you know, arena on that campus. And, and um, so we walk into the arena and, I, you know, I'm, my mouth just drops and I'm looking around. And ironically, when I was a manager at Purdue, working with Gene Cady, um, you know, you go all around the Big Ten. And Ohio State was one of my favorite opposing places to go. So I had been in that arena before. And uh, so we're standing in the, the doorway of the arena and we're looking around and I just blurted out. I said, wow, this would be an awesome place to coach someday. And uh, literally without hesitation, um, my girlfriend at the time, Melissa was her name. She says, uh, oh, don't worry, you will. And it was, you know, it's one of those things like, yeah, you know, well, you, you just, you're a little biased, obviously. You weren't saying that about me. <laughs> and so uh, fa- fast forward about 10 years later, 2004, when, when Thad took the job, uh, we were at Xavier, and it happened really late. And unfortunately, Jim O'Brien, the previous coach, had gotten let go at Ohio State. So it was, you know, literally like the first week of July, uh, the day before recruiting, when we got hired at Ohio State. And um, I remember the first chance I got to get to my office and uh, the first phone call I made was to her. And uh, I said, you'll never guess where I'm sitting right now. And she goes, where? I said, well, you remember us rollerblading a long time ago on a certain campus and, you know, you saying that I would end up coaching there someday. And there's this hushed kind of silence, you know, before she says no way on the other end of the phone. And, so it was just kind of cool that literally a 10-year span, something went from being spoken literally into the air uh, and coming to life 10 years later. So um, pretty amazing deal. Yeah, that's that's your movie right there. Um, I mean, I think you just <laughs> you wrote the script. It's one of those things. I mean, it gives me chills and I wasn't there. But, I mean, those th- those stories are amazing. And it is like a movie. And that's just – and then you fade to black, right? And then off you go. But you didn't fade to black well, at that. I'll only – 
I'll, I will only make it a movie if, if it doesn't show me falling down on rollerblades. I mean, oh, that's the comedy part of it. We're going to need that. We're going to need that clip. <laughs> right. But but the good news is it didn't fade to black. Your story kept on going. And um, as you know, uh, my parents met at Ohio State. I'm a huge Ohio State fan. Yeah. So I remember this well. The Ohio State basketball program, like you had just said, it kind of fallen on hard times. They had some success. Jim O'Brien got into the Final Four. Um, and then mm-hmm. things didn't go as well, right? And you guys come there, sure. and you can't go to the NCAA tournament, and I don't think you're having the season. You, you weren't really had a lot. Of, you didn't have a lot of expectations this time. And then in comes, undefeated, if right. I remember correctly, Illinois, who is going to become, no matter what happens, going to be the number one seed in the NCAA tournament, the favorite to win the NCAA tournament. They come into your stadium, come into your house, and uh, tell us that story. Well, you know, it was amazing. Um, they were 29-0. and 0. It was the final Big Ten game of the regular season. They had crunched us in, in Champaign at the first game of the conference uh, season. Um, and so, you know, uh, they had a unbelievable team, Luther Head, D Brown, uh, James Augustine, Roger Powell, they, uh, they were just phenomenal. And, uh, you know, we couldn't go to the tournament that year. You know, the Ohio state had self-imposed, um, a penalty based on the, the violation from the previous staff. So our whole hashtag that year was pride because we couldn't play for, uh, any type of carrot, you know, the Big Ten championship or, you know, in terms of even that had we, we got to compete in the conference tournament, but we weren't even eligible to go to the NCAAs had we even won it. Uh, so that game, in a sense, was kind of like our NCAA tournament game, you know, in a uh, in a nutshell. And so, uh, but our whole year, that has, our hashtag for that team was pride. And, you know, since we can't play for anything external, that team had to play for everything internal. And so, um, you know, it's a, we're, we're down by two and uh, we have a huddle towards the end of the game and coach literally gets, sits down and asks the guys, Hey, you know, we can go for the tie or you want to go for the win. And uh, every guy in the huddle, uh, you know, uh, just screams out, Hey, let's go for it. And so we had a play called winner. And uh, in a nutshell, it was a, we ran a guy around a double screen and one of the guys in the double screen kind of pinned in uh, for, for his buddy that was in the double screen and Matt Sylvester popped back and shot a, a three right in front of our bench. It seemed like the ball was in the air forever. You know, it's one of those moments where time slows down, it's going a hundred miles an hour. And then all of a sudden time is going two miles an hour. <laughs> and so, you know, it's like, all right, someday this ball is going to drop and it's either going to hit the rim or it's going to go in. And, uh, you know, lo and behold, he drains it. And we ended up winning the game. Um, just Gus Johnson and CBS did the call. You can Google it. It's an amazing finish and, um, you know, storm the court and the whole nine yards. But that kind of set the tone for what we wanted to build because Illinois was what we were wanting to become. So we, that win kind of helped us define ourselves by a, you know, um, sure this is a conference opponent, but they were the number one team in the country. And we eventually wanted to put ourselves in that same light as they were at the time. So I think it validated us. It validated us to future recruits, 
you know, the Conleys and Odins and Daquan Cooks and David Lighties and, you know, all the guys that eventually end up coming to Evan Turner's down the line. You know, one, you know, one recruiting class kind of validates another. But that win really, you know, just helped us plant our feet and say, hey, you know, we really believe we can do something special here. Absolutely. Well, and you, you're talking about it. You know, it's funny. You said you can pull us up on YouTube. We're in our little, what we call our studio. It's our conference room, but we have it up on YouTube right now. And uh, these guys are watching it that are in here with me as we <laughs> record this podcast. I remember it so well. And it is amazing, but it's, um, it's the pride part. And then when we tie this thing into business, it's building that foundation for yeah. future success is what we look at because right. you can't win the championship every year. You can't win it on every single play, but you can set yourself up with small successes. And, you no know, doubt. this is not a small success by any stretch, right? But this is a big success, and this was a big moment for you that catapulted you to the next level that led to, like you said, all those other things. But in business, we see it all the time. Like, just go out there and get the win today. Go make that big moment happen. Yeah. And remember that down the that road that what got you to where you are when you are having even more success, right? Yeah, no, it always comes back to that. You're absolutely right. And that's what we were doing. I mean, we, we had just gotten hired and that was year one of us building a business. I mean, that it just happened to be in the form of a college basketball program, but the, the ingredients are the same in terms of how you conduct yourself each day, how you build a culture and piece it together and not just make sure that culture isn't just words on a wall or in a hallway or things that get passed out or put on wristbands, you know, it's got to be lived out. And and I think that's the most powerful thing about whether it's a team or business or anything is, is culture is great written down, but it, it's most powerful when it's lived out. That's right. And so what, what I hear from you is this passion for the game, this love for the game of basketball. And you've talked with us about players that you've had um, that have played for you that either loved the game or didn't love the game. Two players you identified, and this isn't just the only two, you had many, um, but we were just talking about the team, the success that you had when Aaron Kraft and John Diebler and some of those guys were there, that they had this love for the game of basketball. And it's, I think it's obvious that in order to have uh, incredible success with whatever you're doing, you have to love what you're doing. And it's like you said, you can, you can write it down, but you have to live it. It can't be yeah. manufactured. Like It has to be real. Like, tell me why loving the game is so important. Maybe like why they, Aaron Kraft and John Diebler and other players succeeded as a result from just loving the game so much. Yeah. You know, um, Aaron, um, arrived right when I left to go to Charlotte and, but I was around them a lot in the recruiting process and, you know, watching them play AAU a ton. And then obviously got to be around John, uh, for three years, but, um, yeah, those two guys in particular, but, you know, uh, obviously a bunch of other guys that came through there, you know, that were, you know, you start out maybe under the radar a little bit in high school. Evan Turner, for instance, you know, ranked, um, you know, was a late, late top 100 guy and ends up being a number two draft pick. Um, but they all kind of had that love for the game uh, is what you're talking about, Eric. And I think the big thing, and, you know, we look for it in recruiting. I think businesses should look for it in hiring is, is people that enjoy what they do and have a true love for it, enjoy their craft because in college basketball in particular, you know, with school and, you know, the basketball side of it, um, it's a very demanding lifestyle. Um, you know, guys basically has two jobs 
And so uh, the ability to manage your time and be responsible and do all those things at a high level, uh, you know, requires an incredible commitment. Well, usually it's very hard to be totally committed to something unless you love it. And so um, the thing I've always, you know, said is that when a guy loves the game, you can't ask him to do too much. And not only that is because that love for the game, it's, it's going to most of the time, 99% of the time, he's not going to let anything get in the way of him getting to do what he loves, whether it's a girl or a party or a drug or a bottle or any type of off the court stuff. Uh, They just, you know, guys that love the game just can't imagine not being able to do it. Uh, And so as a result, they conduct themselves in a slightly different way and that, you know, they almost become, whether they become pros from an NBA perspective, they kind of conduct themselves like professionals, whether they become pros or not. And uh, I think that's a huge distinction there. And you probably see it in the business world, I'm sure, you know, there's people that are pros at what they do in terms of maybe collecting a high salary and, you know, they're from a status perspective, but uh, you can always be professional in how you conduct yourself and, and the way you go about your business. And that's what John was like. That's what we knew Aaron was going to be like that before he even arrived to campus. And so uh, Evan Turner was like that just in terms of his commitment to develop and grow. And, and uh, you know, Greg Oden, Mike Conley had that, even though they were on campus for nine months as one and dones. Um, you know, they were, they still had an incredible commitment to what they did each day. I mean, those two were literally the last two guys that leave the gym on a final 14 as freshmen every day. So I know I didn't mean to drag on that very long, but I mean, I think that just giving it some background in terms of why that is and what makes those guys tick. Um, And so I think it's so important in recruiting to look for guys like that. And I think you know, in addition, from a business management perspective, it's important to find people that love what they do and how, you know, make sure they really enjoy and have that commitment to their craft. No pun intended. No, and I think it's great that you did carry on about it because it shows the importance you have towards it. Um, When we brought in John Priori, who you've talked to before, you know, what we said to him is if you don't like it here, don't be here. But if you like it here, sure. this isn't even going to feel like work to you. You're just going to want to do the work. It doesn't matter what day of the week it is. You know, you got to have balance in your life, right? And alignment in everything that you're doing. Exactly. But if you're doing these things, I, so I could imagine when you talk about Mike Conley and Greg Oden, when they're on, when they're staying at the gym and they're the last ones there, they're not like hating every moment. Yeah, sometimes it's not, it's not going to have the best day, but they're loving what they do. So they don't care about being right. there extra hours. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, as a result, it's it's so easy f- from a coaching perspective to develop, you know, great partnerships, you know, with guys like that because you know they're always meeting you in the middle. Um, sometimes they'll come across and and in your line, and they'll 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 be waiting for you before you get to the middle. Uh, but um, guys that maybe don't have that commitment level, you can always feel like you're trying to drag or pull them. And, you know, you're trying to make them want something more than, uh, than they want it. And so that's when it gets to be challenging. So, uh, but that's the joy of uh, not every guy and that, not every guy that plays 
college basketball loves it now. Let's be honest. Let's be real. Um, but the ones that do, uh, they just they really ignite you as a coach because uh, that's when it's it's really special. That's right. So a lot of the players that you've mentioned, they had a lot of talent. They had a lot of ability. They showed up ready to play. And there's there's also raw talent, right? Where you see somebody, and again, this is in we're talking about basketball, but this is in, is also in business where someone has the potential to be something mm-hmm. great, and someone doesn't see it, but then you see it. And you're like, you want to make this happen. So you have a story about um, Michael Oluwakandi, who became the number one pick in the NBA draft, where he was seen by one school, or not seen, but he was heard about by one school, and they didn't believe it. He ended up on your campus at a smaller school, right? And the rest is history. Yeah, yeah. Michael Oluwakandi, uh, you know, was uh, – I started coaching at the University of Pacific in 1995, and you know when I got there, I heard one of the assistants talking about some kid from uh, London that he was talking to a Nigerian seven footer, and you know, as I'm on the job, you know, in this ensuing weeks, you know, it really starts to sound like, hey, this kid's going to come to campus, and Michael's dad was an ambassador for the Nigerian government. Uh, in London. And so Michael was going to boarding school in London and, you know, playing club ball, which is the equivalent of, you know, intramurals. And so um, he had reached out to some American schools. You know, I think he had called Duke. Uh, he got an answer machine. He called Georgetown, uh, got someone on the phone. They didn't believe he was seven feet. So he got mad and hung up the, uh, the phone because they wanted to send a scout <laughs> to, to verify it. And uh, he he didn't like that, and so he hung up. And so he, you know, as he's flipping through that green booklet, American colleges and universities, he gets to the P's, and his thumb kind of just goes right to the beginning of the P's randomly. And right at the top, you know, PA, University of Pacific, he calls. So, you know, he he ends up coming to campus. Uh, coach Thomason, my my boss at the time, Bob Thomason, who's a fantastic coach, who's now retired from Pacific, but um, had gone to pick up Michael at the airport. And you know, our the three assistants were waiting on campus like it's Christmas Day. You know, where's a here's a seven footer that's paying his own way. As a matter of fact, we didn't even have to use a scholarship the first year. And so, coach brings Michael to the gym. And, uh, you know, we have a basketball and we're ready to kind of see, you know, what this guy got the first thing. And when he walked into the gym, he's every bit of seven feet, every bit of it. So now we really think it's Christmas Day, right? Because he's not six, four, you know, or some, some scam deal. He's every bit of seven feet. And, uh, so coach Thomason basically says, Hey, Michael, um, why don't you go over to the block and we'll throw you a few passes. We're not going to burn you down, you know, as a workout. We just want you to do a couple things you're comfortable with. And literally, uh, true story, uh, Michael looked around for a few seconds. And then the three of us assistants looked at each other and we said, uh-oh, he doesn't know where the block is. So we walk him over and we say, okay, Michael, this is the block. Uh, this is where you post up. And uh, so Fast forward, uh, um, literally a, a, a block of a chunk of clay, um, you know, block of granite, um, and he just because he didn't have any preconceived basketball experience, I think it just helped him 
flourish because he had some natural athletic ability. Um, he actually had a decent shooting touch. Uh, he just didn't have any idea of how to go through the process of becoming a great post player. And so I'm not going to take credit for it. Actually, one of the assistant coaches who worked with the bigs at the time, a guy named Ron Verlin, uh, spent most of the time with Michael. And uh, we kind of coached him as a committee, but, you know, Ron coached the bigs on a day-to-day basis and just did a phenomenal job to the point where three years later, um, Michael graduates in 1998. He came over with three years of eligibility, so he graduates in 1998, uh, averaging 22 points, 11 rebounds, 61% from the field, and three blocks per game. And he gets announced as the number one pick uh, in the NBA draft. So in 1998, so it's just, you know, um, I think that story of being around him as much as anything taught me about always remaining committed to individual development for players, because I've seen it from its most raw point to its highest point. I mean, a guy not knowing where the block was to three years later, shaking David Stern's hand. So, um, that 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 whole experience with him was a great humbling lesson for me as a coach is never never you know bail out on a player and just stay with him and be committed to his development as long as he keeps you know coming into the gym and fighting for himself you keep fighting for him that's right and you you've said this before you have that philosophy of helping the one player one person at a time and it and that resonated so well with us because that's what we do with our clients we just got off a phone call with someone and we were talking about you know we can say this but it, it's actually, do you play it out in real life? And you know how can we help yeah. this business? How can we help this client right now? And everything else doesn't matter. It's like, we're doing this podcast with you, Alan. This, you, you're all that matters right now. Nothing else matters. And that's, yeah. that's what you're doing. And when you do it with college students, you know, student athletes, as they call them, right? Um, or a professional, mm-hmm. player, whatever level it's at, you're helping that one player. You've talked about it before where you're like, let's put basketball away, let's put the phones away. Let's go get a soda or a cup of coffee, right? When you just walk the campus with that player and they're all that matters at that time and they can talk about whatever's on their mind. Maybe it's not basketball, right? That's something you seem to have focused on quite a bit in your coaching career. Well, it's it's important. I think every player needs to know that he's not just a player to you. Um, And I think once a guy understands that it's not, he's not just a, a player, you're not just a coach, uh, he's a young man. Uh, you're a, uh, a grown man, and you know you're both in this together to help each other get better. And um, you know, as players take their individual strides, whether it's manhood, student, player, you know, the kind of the onus is back on us as coaches to find another way to help them improve. And so that's the essence of what the partnership means. And, you know, that's the purest form of, of, you know, relational development, right, is, is, you know, I get better. I I go to a clinic. I I get on the phone with NBA guys or European guys or, um, you know, I talk to an emotional intelligence person or whatever it is. And if I get one nugget that I can take back and either give to my team or one individual player, you know, he's going to hopefully take that and, and bleed that into his personality or his own development. And then the kind of the healthy pressure is back on me to go do it again. And then the healthy pressure is back on him to go develop again. Uh, 
and that's you know when it, we talk about helping people you know one on one like that i think understanding that it's a partnership and when a guy knows that he's just not a player to you that you want to help him grow in every way and and you know one of the hashtags we used at charlotte was max out you know when i was coaching there and the whole point was you know we want to try to help them become the the absolute best version as long as they're with us the best version of themselves as a student as a player sometimes that's an easy conversation because obviously basketball is kind of what drew them there uh, and then as a man and getting them you know what would it look like if you maxed out in all these three areas and uh and it's a process and it's not always easy you have your you know hills you have your valleys but as long as a guy knows that you're in it with him and that you care about him and that you want the best for him and that it's about the next 40 years, right? It's not just about, Hey, graduation day, see you later. Thanks for the points, rebounds, assists, and you give him a wave. It's about, you know, when he gets his first job or he becomes a pro or, you know, he gets married, he has his first kid. You want to, you know, still be a part of guys lives where you get that occasional phone call or text or you get a wedding invite or those kinds of things. So I think when guys know you're, you you want to be in it for the long haul as opposed to just for the short term, uh, I think it opens up a world of possibility as far as the, the, the you know, their development and just the relationship as a whole. Yeah, and you're, you're building these relationships and you're starting, you're talking about like that Ohio State-Illinois game, you're building that foundation not only for the team but for the individual relationships that you're building. And I would imagine when you're on these walks and you look over at the player and he just looks a little bit groggy, maybe from the night before, is that when you ask your famous question of, was it worth it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know, you hope you don't have to ask that too often, but, um, you know, uh, guys are going to do, um, what college guys do. I mean, thank goodness, you know, with, with, with me, you know, um, you know, there was no, Twitter or anything else around, you know, uh, you know, back when I was in college, we all had our moments, but I think, um, uh, that, I think that's, that's so important is, is to be able to have the transparency to ask that question, because I think that in itself, um, you know, sometimes a guy will maybe gloss over it and tell you the truth, uh, or tell you the truth. He he may just say, ah, you know, I just kind of hung out and did this, that, and the third, but, just to you know to have the courage uh, of a relationship and the transparency to be able to say that like hey you know um you know make sure that you you know because then you get it you get into taking care of your body and what that's about so that's again that's getting back to maxing out as a player you're not gonna max out as a player if things at night or the lifestyle or you know, uh, getting in at 2 a.m., if that becomes important to you, then you're going to miss out on maxing yourself out. But what's funny is, you know, it gets back to the guys that really love the game and and they want to, you know, very rarely do those guys test the waters at that time of night. You know, they usually are, those guys are getting to bed and they're they're handling their business because, again, that love for the game just does not, it's not going to allow them to put themselves in a position uh, where they couldn't do what the, the very thing that they love and enjoy. They just, they can't imagine 
being away from it. So as a result, they don't do anything to jeopardize it. Well, it makes sense because, I, and I think that question of was it worth it or if you ask it to yourself, is it worth it before you even do it, is it can be done in anything. Right. Right? It could be done with the food that you're about to eat or the decision you're about yep. to make or the client you're about to work with. So, I mean, that question, when you talked to us a yeah. few months ago, that stuck with me and I love that. And, you know, it's just something you can always ask yourself no matter if you're, you know, an 18-year-old college basketball player or if you're, yeah. you know, well into your career. So it's a, it's a great thing great to live point. by. And I think these principles just, they parallel each other so well. When, you, when you're mm -hmm. watching college basketball and you've been around it and, and you saw it not only 10 years ago, 20 years ago, but today, do you see that the college game has changed? I mean, the one and dones and everything else that's going on, do you see the style of play, the level of play uh, having uh, changed over these last five or so years? Yeah, you know, I think, um, you know, I think the parody thing is real, you know, I think we've all, uh, this is, this year's probably produced it as much as any, um, that the parody thing is real. And, uh, I see the, the NBA game has gotten, uh, younger, uh, over the you know last several years. And, uh, you know, some guys at the mid-major level, especially in college, they have the ability to get older. That's the hardest thing in college basketball to do is it's hard to get old. Um, and sometimes it's hard to get old via, you know, guys going to the draft, other times it's hard to get old just because of guys transferring or, you know, mid-major players, you know, with a graduate year that want to go play at a higher level and all of a sudden, you know, uh, a, an experienced group loses an 18-point-a-game score to a higher-level school. So it's hard to get old. Alan, <laughs> thank you again for the time that you've given us, the stories and everything else. We've really enjoyed it, and we will talk soon. You guys are the best, man. Appreciate you. Hope to see you soon. You got it. Alan, it was absolutely awesome having you on this podcast. From the college basketball stories to the lessons in life, we are all better off for spending time with you. The perspectives from Coach Alan Major on finding your true passion and always giving your best are now perspectives you as a business owner and entrepreneur can use for yourself. And for that, Alan, thank you. And for any entrepreneur or athletic director with questions on all things basketball and leadership, feel free to reach out to Alan. If you want to connect with us, hit us up on Instagram at sportsepreneur. Thank you for listening to the Sports Epreneur podcast, the podcast where sports and entrepreneurship collide. Now go get it.